from Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17. And I invite you to listen to God's word to us today. He, Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. And then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets." But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here today, we would hear your gospel, your good news and it would change us forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's interesting what takes place in this passage. There's a lot going on, as I said. But one of the things that's happening is there's this interesting interchange of who Jesus is talking to. Because it really takes place in sort of two parts here. The first part, we see Jesus coming down from a mountain after praying, and there's a crowd gathered there. And the crowd are all coming in around him, and they're seeking healing, and uh, he's interacting with them, and he's moving around them, and folks' lives are being changed. Healings and deliverance is taking place. But then what it says is when he starts his teaching, he's specifically talking to the disciples, He's not addressing the whole crowd, it doesn't seem, but rather in the midst of that crowd, the 12 disciples whom he just names, it's like he starts teaching a small group Bible study in the midst of this large gathering. He's talking specifically to the disciples. He's talking to you and me. And it might just be that I'm a three on the Enneagram, which means that I turn everything into a competition that we need to win, which is a very healthy way to live your life. Uh, But um, especially when you hear the kingdom of God, the first shall be last and the last will be first. And you're like, so which way do I try to win? Am I like, you know, but I got, you got to have it happen somewhere. But maybe it's just me. But when you hear these two lists given, There's this immediate response to how do I get on the blessed list and how do I avoid being on the woes? I don't want to be on the bad guy side. I don't want to be in the Darth Vader side. I want to be on the other side. I want to be with the winners. I want to be with the blessed. I don't want the woes. I don't want the curses. I want to be on the first list. I don't want to be on the last list. And that's often how we think of this. That's how I've taught this in the past. How do we move towards the one and the other? But one of the things that has struck me this week is that I think that's the wrong approach. I don't think we're on one list or the other. I think we're on both all the time. And both the blessings and the woes, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, have something practical about how you and I are called to live our lives in the midst of the ups and downs we endure. So we're going to look at both, not as an either or, but as God saying something important to us all in both. 
We're going to bring up here on the slide just how to look at these two lists of blessings and woes uh, because they're really not meant to be read one or the other. They really mirror each other. The first blessing mirrors the first woe. The second blessing mirrors the second woe. They're meant to be read side by side versus one and then the other. So I'm going to bring them up here and get the themes of the four blessings and the four woes. The first one that we see here is that in the first blessing, Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the second, uh, in the first woe, he says, uh, woe to you who are rich. So those are, it's not meant to be one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, but it's one and one match up together. You see that? They mirror each other. The second one, blessed are you who are hungry. Woe to you who are full. The third one, blessed are you who are weeping. The, the third, woe to you who are laughing. And last, blessed are you when people are speaking badly about you. Woe when people are speaking well about you. This upside-down nature of the kingdom, of looking at things, this list shows how it's supposed to be mirrored. And the reason I think it applies to both of us, rather than which list am I on, is if you think about it, doesn't you fall, don't you fall in both categories as you sit here today? There's a part of us that has grief and pain and loss that's a part of our lives, but we also have parts of our life that have joy and happiness, and there's laughing. So which one are you? Are you one or are you the other? Or how about how people speak about you? I'm sure that there are people in this world who might say one thing about you. There are other people in your family or in your work or somewhere else that might see you in a different way. So which one are you? I know that, 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 that for me, I fit in both of those categories as I stand here before you today. And so the question is, how does each list speak to us as disciples? And how are we supposed to live in the ups and the downs of life, whether we are weeping or, or, or laughing? So we're going to look at these lists, okay? But know that they apply to you and know that there's some stuff that's very practical about it. So what I want to do to talk about the first, to talk about the blessings and how they apply to us, is I want to bring one verse up on the, on the screens. This is verse 21 of which we just read, and it contains the second and the third blessings. The, the, this works in all four this way, but um, it, when it works in all four, it, it's, it, we can't get them all up on one screen at the same time. So you just have to trust me that blessing one and blessing four follows the same pattern, but we're going to have them all up on the screen because you need to look at the text for why people are blessed in this upside down way. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Now the question when we ask this is, why is that blessed? Is Jesus literally saying, if you're hungry and don't have any food to eat and your children don't have any food to eat, count yourself lucky. That's not what he's saying. He's also not saying, if you weep and have grief and loss and pain in your life, Jesus is not in an insensitive way looking at you going, I don't know why you're crying. You're blessed. Why are you making such a big deal about this? He's not saying that. Rather, the reason that he's saying that people like us who have pain and loss and grief and confusion and brokenness in our life, the reason we are blessed is not because of our present condition, but because of a promised future. You see that? That's how this language works. That's why I want you to see it. Blessed are you hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you, when you who weep now, for you will laugh. What Jesus is saying is that it's not the present condition of pain or hunger or poverty for which we should be grateful, but Jesus is specifically saying to his disciples, there are no dead ends with God. 
And so the difficulty and the pain and the loss and the grief and the confusion, which is a part of all of our stories, it will not have the final say in your life. It will be transformed. And we know that as Christians because we are following Jesus. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we know this is true. Not just because Jesus says it is, but because we see it in his life. Jesus experiences heartache. Jesus experiences loss. Jesus mourns. We read in the Gospels at one point, Jesus weeps at the loss of Lazarus and the pain that's there. Jesus dies on a cross, and yet in all of those times, even in the face of death, as Paul writes, even death on a cross, that death is overturned. Resurrection happens. New life happens. Hope springs forward. Life is stronger than death. Love is stronger than hate. And so Jesus is saying, don't forget that if you keep your eyes on me as my followers, as you go through hard times, you will be able to remember that the hard times won't overtake you. Hasn't that been important for us to remember, especially we've gone through the last two years? As we've gone through the last two years, it has been a struggle. It has been hard. It has been difficult at times with what's taking place in our nation, with the political situation in which we find ourselves, with the divisions that exist, with the global pandemic, with all that's taking place in the world, with Russia and what's taking place. I mean, it's just like on all fronts. And there's so many times over the last couple of years where probably like me, you were just sort of going, it just feels like it's caving in. It feels like we're just in this whirlpool and we can't get out of it. That happens when we go through difficulty. And Jesus is going, you are blessed because it's not going to be a dead end. It's not going to be, keep your eyes on me. I've overcome the world. I'm making all things new. That will be true for you. Don't despair, but hold on to hope. I had a great reminder of that. Um, just a few weeks ago, and it was a really important reminder of this for me, uh, because I was having one of those days, and you know, um, we've all had these days. Maybe it makes me feel better if I think we've all had these days, but I'm assuming we've all had these days, where just things are like hard and challenging, and you're, you know, you're trying to figure stuff out, and it's like, it's like, it's like every email that comes in, you're like, oh, God, like, like what, like, what, you know, and just kind of all this sort of stuff going on. It's just, some days are hard. And so I was at lunch on this day, and uh, I was with somebody here at the church, and we were talking about thriving ministries. And I said, was talking about how one of the most important things for every ministry, every committee, is we need empowered laity. We need really great volunteers to lead and to be empowered in what's taking place in the church. That's how things thrive. And they said, well, you know, like, where have we seen this? And I told them this, this example that I hadn't thought about in a long time. It was of 20 years ago when I was a seminary student and first started, my first job started working in college ministry, working with college students in Atlanta. And as, as some of you know, like our ministry exploded, went from like six kids to like 300 kids in a few years. And it was this amazing time of seeing these college students just come alive in their faith and, and lives being transformed. But I said, you know, the, one of the most indispensable parts, we had these great volunteers from the church. Uh, Sarah and Bob Estes, Rob and Amy Hammock, Linda and Norman Underwood, just these people that just poured into those students. And without the church and the volunteers coming in, I said, we couldn't have done this. I hadn't thought about that time in, in a couple of decades, in a long time, but that afternoon I received an email from one of those volunteers that I hadn't spoken with in 20 years, Sarah Estes. And Sarah wrote, Sarah's now in her 70s. She's still in Atlanta. She goes to, she and Bob go to a, a, a different church. They're not at the same church even anymore. But they wrote and they said, we were at lunch today and we were thinking about you. 
And it's been a really long time. And so I, we, we Googled you, and you guys are in Texas now. How did that happen? And you're in Austin, and you and Beth are working in ministry at the same church. That's great. And, and, and all this stuff. And, and she just wrote, she goes, so tell me how you are. And I wrote her back going, this is the weirdest thing. Because it sounds insulting when you say that. It's like, I haven't thought about you in 20 years. <laughs> Which seems terrible when you say it out loud. But I said, today at lunch, I was talking about you and Bob. It's the most random thing. I said, and I wrote, and I'm the pastor. And I'm like, what do you think God's doing in the middle of this? And Sarah wrote back the most amazing response. She goes, well, we'll see what God's doing. But if life has been challenging for you like it has been for me, maybe God's just reminding us that he's looking at us. And I was like, no, there's got to be something more magnificent that the Holy Spirit's doing in this. Until I sat with it. And it was a reminder of what the Lord's saying, that when you go through hard times, just keep your eyes fixed on me. I'm with you. I've been through this. This is not going to be the end of your story. With God, there are no dead ends. I don't know if you are someone that grief is just a part of your life or loss or mourning or weeping is a part of your life or if it is just sucking you in because it's so hard right now. But whoever you are, I want you to hear today that you are not abandoned, you are not forgotten and that our weeping, Jesus says, will turn into dancing. And that promise is there for you. It is there for you and it cannot be taken away. Amen? Amen? That's the end of like sermon number two of the four. But we got to get to the, we got to get to the woes. We got to get to the woes real quick. So let's bring up verse 25 because the woes also apply to us. And this is the part that should make us uncomfortable because it's like, oh, I'm kind of like looking for this stuff. And, uh, and, and so we're going to look again at woes number two and three that mirror the ones we looked at in verse 21. Woe to you who are full now for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now for you will mourn and weep. Now, what we have to ask ourselves when we get to the woes and our discomfort is, does Jesus really mean this the way it appears on the surface? Is it wrong in woe number one to be rich? Is it bad? Are you cursed? Is it wrong in woe number two to have food in your refrigerator and in your stomach? Is it cursed or woe to you if you actually laugh? That's important to sit in because we have to, to, to wrestle with that. And I want you to hear today that the answer to that is no. That's not what this means. And it doesn't say, and we're not telling ourselves off the hook because of what I often hear people go. It's like, well, my God wouldn't do that. that. I'm not interested in what your opinion is, what God would or wouldn't do. That's you playing God. I'll tell God what God would and won't do. The way we as Christians interpret passages like this is we interpret these one passages in light of the rest of Scripture. It's a really great tool for when we encounter difficult things. What does the rest of Scripture say? And we know in the rest of Scripture that wealthy people were included in the Jesus movement. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy individual that when Jesus' body was taken off the cross, he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. That's where the first Easter comes out of that tomb. And I bet when Joseph was a part of that movement that Jesus, every time he saw Joseph, didn't sit there and go, you're cursed, you're cursed, you're cursed, you're cursed. But he might have said, you know, Joseph, I'm going to ask you to do things with your money that you might not choose to do on your own. But Joseph was a part of it. So we know that that's not true. 
Or how about the idea that we are uh, full now or we are laughing now? Does Jesus not want that? No, we know that from scripture. The first miracle we looked at just a few weeks ago was Jesus at a wedding feast transforming water into so that the party could keep going for several more days. I would imagine that Jesus' intention at that party when the water became wine was that somebody was going to drink it and their bellies would be filled with that and more food. And that Jesus, when they drink it, wasn't wandering around the party like a hall monitor going, oh, did you drink that? Woe to you. Woe to you. Did you actually drink the water I turned around? Woe to you. And I bet at that party that went on for days, somebody laughed. Somebody laughed. And I don't think Jesus was wandering the party going, Brent, did you laugh? Did you laugh? Oh, cursing. Oh, woe to you. This is not one of those laughing parties. This is a somber wedding party that we want to keep going for. for. No, no. So what is woe? Sorry, Brent. I, when people are wearing a mask, I can't tell. It's like, are they angry? Are we good? Are we good? We're good. All right, we're good. All right. So why do we say woe to you? Why is that? Well, the way to understand this is by mirroring it with the, with the blessings. What we said is, it's not that the present condition uh, was what made you blessed, but it was the promised future. And I think there is a woe that comes to us when we see the blessings of this life as the point and the end and all and be all to themselves. The point of my life is to have money so that I can do whatever I want. The point of my life is to hoard as much joy and as much laughter. The point of my life is to have every food and every experience and I just sort of grab it and take it and keep it and, and, and make certain that the more I have, the better off I am. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, no, there's a woe in that. You can have all the money in the world. And if that is the scope of what you think your life is about, you will have a meaninglessness that gnaws away at you and cannot be purchased away. You are meant to be a part of serving something larger than yourself. And so Jesus says that when you have blessings in your life, it's not to feel guilty about it, but do it as a follower of me. And how did Jesus handle abundance in his life? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that he had all the power of God, but out of need for the world, he gave it away and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, to meet our spiritual needs. You haven't been blessed because God likes you more. We've been blessed to empty ourselves and to share and to be a blessing to others. And there is a joy that comes from the experience of giving that cannot be found any other way. So when we have blessings in our life, we are meant to do so as a follower of Jesus to serve those around us that might not have what we have and to experience the joy that comes from that. We're gonna show a video here that I think illustrates this in a sense. I need to set this video up real fast. Um, it's a video that really takes place in two parts. Now I'm gonna warn you, this is a video from like the late 80s. So it's dated, just go with it, okay? Just go with it. It's a video of a British gentleman who passed away just a number of years ago, I think at age like 106, uh, named Nicholas Winton. In the first part of the video, it's, it's some actors that are there, uh, and it tells the story of how Nicholas Winton's uh, story started to be told. 
Nicholas Winton, uh, in the 1930s, was a very successful businessman. He had, he had many blessings in his life. He was a, a, a stockbroker, he was a financier, he worked in a bank, and he was so successful that he traveled around Europe uh, involved in international trading at the time. And while he was traveling and while he was out on business in Europe, the Nazis came to power in Germany. And over the years, he began hearing and even knowing people who started experiencing increasing atrocities at the hand of the Nazis. And one day on one trip, there were some children from some business partners in Czechoslovakia who came to him and said, the Gestapo is watching us and we as a family cannot leave, but would you take our children back to the UK? And if we survive whatever is coming, they can come back. And Nicholas Winton, at great cost to himself, said yes and arranged for their passage back to the UK, arranged for a family that took them in with an indeterminate amount of time as to how long. And over the coming years, Nicholas Winton took several trips to Europe that he invented the need to go for business in order to arrange more and more families to be able to have their children come back to Great Britain to be taken in by British families all over the British Isles. The hope was that after the war they would be able to go home, but almost all of their parents were killed in the atrocities of the Holocaust. After the war, Nicholas Winton, who was single at the time, got married. His wife heard a little bit about this, but, but the first part of the video is in a, a, a kind of an actor's kind of coming back of in 1988, 50 years later, as she is cleaning out her attic and finds Nicholas Winton's scrapbook of the records that he kept of the children that came back, of photos of the addresses where they went, and she became aware of the extent of the work that he had been doing that nobody knew about. She shared that with a few friends, and that leads to the second part of the video where the nation of Great Britain and the world became aware of Nicholas Winton. Because these people heard this story, and one of them was a television producer for a TV show called This Is Life. Now, in this TV show, they invited, and this is important for you to know, and then we'll watch it. They invited Nicholas Winton and his wife to come to a taping of the show to be a part of this TV audience. He was there to watch someone else, a TV show about something else. And he had been given tickets to be a part of the studio audience. But what he didn't know was that the story of the TV show was about him. And this is what takes place. There are some stories which were not only an audience to, but may become their participants. Nikki's story came out by accident after this scrapbook surfaced after gathering dust for decades. Once it did, though, it said about a whole chain of incredible events. That's me before I left for England. But until 1988, I had no idea who had rescued me from all but certain death. It was this old man who had saved my life and that of hundreds of others in the Second World War. Yet for 50 years, we knew nothing about him. This is his scrapbook. There are all kinds of fascinating pictures in it. Perhaps you can see this is a picture of Nicholas Winton himself with one of the children he rescued. If you look at the very back of this scrapbook, fascinating things in it, all the letters. But back here is the list of all the children 
This is Vera Diamant, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. I wore this around my neck, and this is the actual pass that we were given to come to England. And I'm another of the children that you saved. Can I ask, is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? If so, could you stand up, please? Nicholas Winton was an amazingly successful businessman and stockbroker, and that gave him access to traveling in Europe in the 1930s. But thank God he didn't see himself as that and only that. But his blessing in his position and his influence was a chance to serve where there were others in need. And over the course of the years that he traveled there, 669 children were brought back from Europe to live and to have a future in Great Britain. That's what it looks like. You have been blessed, but there is a joy and a power when you understand that the blessings that you have are meant to be shared. You have been blessed to be a blessing where there is need in this world. And that is the Jesus way. Not celebrating how much more you can accumulate. And so friends, I invite you, as people who know what it's like to live on both lists, who know what it's like to live with difficulty and pain, I want you to hear today that you're a follower of Jesus and that your pain will turn into something new. It will be redeemed. Hold on to that hope. But for the blessings that you have in your life, there's a call that's there as well to serve something larger in yourself, to share with others from what you have been given so that this world becomes a different place. I encourage you to follow Jesus wherever you live, work, and play. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, watch over us and be with us. Guide us and protect us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.